Did we lose uh, Zoom up front? Okay, there's a different screen, so just double checking for our friends at home. Um, all right, so will you please turn in your Bible with me to First Peter uh, chapter 5. We're going to finish the book today. You know, when you're ending, you want to say and re-say what you've said uh, in ways you've already said it, but in pithy statements you can remember, right? So what is First Peter all about? Standing firm in the true grace of God. In particular, in exile, uh, when life goes not well, when you're surrounded by people who don't believe like you, and to do so in a way that imitates Jesus. So this is, this is really helpful to summarize where we've been and I pray it's been a fruitful study. This is a, the Jesus-centered life is all about the gospel, and Peter has never gotten over it, and he's in the trenches trying to encourage us to say, look at the magnitude of the eternal glory you already have and what will be revealed, and let that carry you through. So let's, let's read First Peter uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 5 through, through the end here. It says, uh, likewise, this is the word of our God, likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, I regard him, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And this is the word of our God. It is true and trustworthy. We've, we've heard him speak to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we know that following Jesus is not an easy task. Um, we're up against our own arrogance. Uh, we're hounded by anxiety, often afraid of not being in control, as well as being hunted by an enemy, the devil, all while living in a world that goes not well. But we have the gospel, we have Jesus and the power of his resurrection at work, and so I pray that today as we lean, uh, lean by faith on him, uh, that you would teach us how to stand firm in, in your grace, that you would do as you promised to finish the work you've started, uh, to restore, confirm, establish, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right, these are Peter's last words to this, these churches who are suffering in, in uh, modern-day Turkey. And it's helpful to remember that 
Peter in chapter 5 is really is working out how in the world do you entrust yourself to your faithful creator as you suffer according to God's will, right? And so he's, he's building on that. And last week, we, when you're going through trouble, what does faith look like? Trusting your creator? You, you need pastored. You need to not go through these things alone. Um, it looks like humility. And this week adds up, connects again. It's, this is very practical. What happens when you suffer? What are the enemies of faith, right? Two, two main things here. It's pride, <laughs> I want to be in control, and anxiety. Does God really care for me? All right, that's what Peter says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares on him. Right? Speaking into that, because he cares for you. And so as we, we're summarizing the book, so it's going to sound familiar, but it's, it's also building a case. Uh, of showing us how to stand firm in the true grace of God. And so this is going to teach us this morning how, to, how we're called to learn humility in exile. Uh, we need to know our enemy, what we're up against, and then lastly, how to stand. So let's look at this idea of we, we're learning humility while in exile, right? Because Peter started his letter by saying, to all you exiles scattered in the dispersion throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and all these different places that our Bible geography fails us. So modern-day Turkey, right? And he says, hey, you're in exile. This is what you should expect. And then he ends his letter here in 5.13 by saying, um, she who is at Babylon greets you, talking about the church, where he is at, saying, hey, we too, we're in exile, right? We're in the same a boat together. We're in the same struggle of figuring out how to follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't trust us, like us, and at times has caused us great harm on top of just the normal human existence. Right? So if you remember the history, this is what's helpful to just lay out the land again. Right? What happened in, in your Bible history with Babylon? Right? In 587 BC, this mighty world power of Babylon came roaring into Jerusalem like a terrifying lion set loose among sheep and it was just brutal when they finally took the city i mean you can go read psalm 137 where these poor exiles are saying how in the world can we sing how can we rejoice when our home's destroyed when we're stuck living with the people who killed our children god do justice right and so what Part of that history is, Dan, like Daniel and his three friends, we went through the book of Daniel, they were dragged from Israel across the desert into this land of Babylon to live and serve their enemies for the rest of their lives. I mean, it's such a horrific way to con conceive of your life. You are stuck as a servant the rest of your life, and there is nothing you can do to change it. All right? Only to have God tell these exiles in Jeremiah 29, right? Hey, get comfortable. You're going to be there for a long time. I know you think faith means God's going to rise up to empower and slay your enemies. But no, faith looks like moving in, getting married, planting gardens, building your home, putting down roots, praying for the, the well-being, the welfare, the shalom, the peace of your enemies. All right? Work for their peace. Work for their well-being. Pray for them. It's, a, it's an Old Testament way of saying love and serve your enemies. 
And this is another really important picture that's going to connect to Peter here. It's God's fault they're there, right? This was God's sovereign plan, God's will for their life, uh, that Babylon would drag his people into mission there in Babylon, right? So Isaiah 5, as God is laying out a case of saying, Israel, you need to repent, it's going to get bad. Um, He says, this is what the prophet Isaiah says, God's anger is not turned away, and his hand, so there's that language, is still stretched out, and he's going to raise a signal for the nations far away. And he's going to whistle for them from the ends of the earth. Right? This is God summoning Babylon. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, no one's slumbering or sleeping. There's not a waistband loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp, all their bows are bent. Their horses' hooves feel like, seem like flint, and their wheels are like the whirlwind. And their roaring is like a lion. Like young lions, they roar and they growl and seize their prey and they carry it off and none can rescue them. It's a horrific picture. Right? And so what, what you're supposed to do is you're reading Peter and you hear Babylon, it's supposed to trigger all that Old Testament stuff. Um, right? That reminding you, hey, Babylon, even Babylon was on a leash. Summoned by the Lord of the Nations. Right, so the, the portrait, I think, that will just help fill in the gaps, and this is one of the portraits I've, I found really helpful, is you remember Daniel and his three friends in Babylon? You know how they're described in Daniel 1? They were blameless. Same language to describe these sacrificial animals. Right? Like lambs and the sacrifices. So the context then like Daniel, go learn humility, trust in God's will for your life, cast all your anxieties on the Lord as sheep sent to live among the lions of Babylon. That's that's the Old Testament picture. We're not told anything different as Christians, are we? I mean, Jesus would say, I send you as sheep among wolves. Um, Here in Saratoga County, we learn humility while living among neighbors who don't know Jesus. We're placed here to love Jesus and serve our neighbors. And Peter's working out those implications for us. Right? That, that we're, we, we are in exile. Put down roots, pray for your neighbors, love and serve them. And so the context for learning humility, humbling yourselves, casting your, your fears when your life is not going according to the, the way you planned, Right? It's in exile, that place, that place that you cannot control. <laughs> it's outside of our control, but in, in the Lord's hands. Right? I, I get there from the text, right? She who is at Babylon, likewise chosen, send you greetings, says Peter in verse 13. Who's the she in Babylon? It's the church, Right? It's not specific to just Peter's wife. You know, it's, the, it's the church. It's Peter saying, hey, me? Send you greetings. Uh, the church who's in Babylon, send you greetings. And Mark, most likely the writer of the Gospel of Mark, his son whom he loves. Hey, we're in Babylon suffering like you. We too are scattered, suffering Christians following Jesus. Right? So it's really comforting. The, 
everything we've studied so far does not come from a place, it's not from an ivory tower, not, not forged in the fires of someone's actual experience. This is Peter following Jesus with these other Christians saying, hey, we as brothers and sisters all across the world are suffering the same things. So you put all that together, what are we talking about here? Like the, the, the place that we learn humility and peace, the place we learn to trust and obey, uh, the place we learn how to stand firm in God's grace, to trust that he is in control, to trust that he is good. Right? We do that in exile as sheep living among lions. Sheep who are called by grace to teach the lions the way of the lamb, if you will. Right? How to follow Jesus. And so perhaps this is a good application of this. Um, Start with this simple reality, right? If Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, what, what are we supposed to see? What is he talking about? Well, right now, the mighty hand of God is upon you, upon me, upon us. He, his hand is over your circumstances. The sufferings, those things you're anxious about, right? They're not outside of the realm of his control. Because right, in verse 6, humble yourselves is a, a passive imperative, meaning it's a command, humble yourself, but it's a command to respond to what God is doing to you, suffering according to God's will. Right? So you start meditating on what Peter is saying is, Everything right now that you're anxious about, whatever it might be, COVID, your particular fiery trials, those places where you're anxious to talk about Jesus in your workplace, um, the fact that we're surrounded by a not-Christian culture and you just feel weird whenever you're around non-Christians because you know you see the world differently. Whatever it is you're anxious about, whatever it is that's keeping you up at night, whatever it is that makes you wonder, does God care for me? It takes place in the context of being under the mighty hand of God. It's not outside the realm of his control. Right? This is where you learn humility in exile. If that is the language, the language of being in exile is that you're in a place that you would never choose for yourself <laughs> because God planted you there. That's how he worked with his people of old, and that's how he works with us. And you're called to connect your anxiety and God's power, his mighty hand, to come together to that place of faith and respond with humility and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait on you. I got to trust that you're by my side, ready, willing to rescue, help, heal, restore, strengthen at the proper time, as Peter says, which we'll talk about what that means. We heard a great um, statement of faith this past weekend um, at Presbytery. So... One of the things they're trying to do every time we gather together is just have a, the host church share a missionary and just let, just so we know what God is up to in different parts of the world. And if you're looking for as a church, right, if you want to support someone new, here's someone that's, that we're, that's been worked with. So we heard from a Haitian pastor who works with something called Soul Winning Ministries, and they're, they're in Haiti, right? And what, Haiti's just been rocked recently, right? Their president was assassinated. Um, they had another earthquake, 
They just had a hurricane, right? So it's just all kinds of chaos. But the soul-winning ministries, they have an orphanage, they're raising kids, they have a Bible college, they're training pastors. And it was all started by a guy named Jean-Paul. Um, as everyone testified, he is a man with a big heart who loved Jesus, who loved the gospel, who loved Reformed theology. He wanted to see the Haitian church just grow in their understanding of who Jesus is and raise these orphans in the faith so that maybe they one day will be leaders in the culture and community and push back against the darkness. Well, in August of 2020, Jean-Paul was teaching pastors. They took a break. He went to his office to get a book where he was then assassinated and executed and then robbed, right? A lamb among the lions. And what struck me uh, is as we got to watch some videos and how his family and how this ministry is going to continue that's just grown up from the ground from this one faithful servant was just the faith of the kids, the way they humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God. So John Paul's children, one of his daughters said this, we, doubt, we weren't ready for this, but this is God's work and God's plan. And we're not going to let that stop us from taking the good news to Haiti. Right? Or another daughter, echoing the faith of her father, said, it's not like there's anything special about us. But God is the best, and because we believe God is the best, and his will is the best, we're going to trust that God has the best for our future. It's humility under the mighty hand of God with very real anxieties. Do you know how to do that? To believe in the very worst of circumstances, he still cares for you. G.K. Chesterton said something really helpful as you think about humbling ourselves like this, of faithfully trusting that God is leading me through this trial for his plans and purposes. Um, He says, you know what we suffer from today? It's humility in the wrong place. This is why we struggle to, to respond the way these young ladies respond. Because in our culture, modesty has moved from the, the organ of ambition and it's settled on the organ of conviction, a place it was never meant to be. He says, look, a man was meant to doubt himself, but to never be undoubting about the truth of who God is. And so if you didn't catch what he's saying, you're normal. <laughs> I usually have to read what he says a few times. But he's saying, look, The way it ought to be is we should be skeptical about ourselves and our desire to stay in control and about our motives, the reality that we want to be the center of the universe. But what's not designed, humans are not designed to doubt the truth, the reality of God, or as Peter would say, that, that God cares for you. We're in a culture that's training us to, well, doubt our faith and be confident in ourselves. It's the complete opposite. And of course, the result of that is, well, if, if I don't doubt myself, I'm in charge. Right? And then it's up to me, my effort, my goodness, my ambition, my pride. I don't want to ask for help. I don't need help. I'm not going to humble myself. The only way I get through this is to press on. Right? And when it's all you, and, you know, just me, I'll include myself here, then anxiety kicks in. Because <laughs> if I'm never trained to ask for help, then I'm in this on my own. 
And then we end up getting tag-teamed by this thing called pride and our powerlessness and wonder why we as Christians question if God cares. See, Peter, right, is saying, humble yourselves as you go through these trials. Cat, there are very real anxieties, very real concerns. It's part of following Jesus. But don't doubt that he cares for you. Because what is the insult to the God who does care? Well, sinful worry, as one pastor put it, is always a stab at the integrity of God's love for you. It's not just an innocent thing. Cast your anxieties on the Lord when life goes not well. If you're in exile, this is, this is life. Right? That, that verse there, cast your, your burden, your anxieties on the Lord, most likely alludes to, to Psalm 55, which says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be moved. Right? It's a very confident statement of faith. Do you know where that prayer started? It's David, and he says, hey, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. And I say, God, I wish I had wings like a dove. I would, just, I would peace out on this place. I would run away, be at rest, wander far away as I can get from this place. Right? I would do what Jonah did. I'm going to run the opposite direction. So David is just crying out because everybody's against him, including his friends. It's a betrayal psalm. And it's into that reality that David turns from his very real fears, his very real anxieties, his burdens, and he says to everyone, hey, cast your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will get you through. He will not allow the righteous to be moved. So, what are you trying to carry by yourself because of pride? Right? I mean, the language of casting is the idea of putting responsibility on someone else. So it's take your anxieties, lift them off yourself, and give them to God and say, I am your responsibility, God, as you have promised to be. Putting, it's basically saying, stay in your lane. <laughs> Let God be God. Because none of us were meant to bear that burden of being the Lord of our lives. Cast your anxieties on the Lord and let him exalt you at the proper time when he decides it is good for you and good for Jesus' glory and honor. But you do the, all that, right? This is, this is no just theoretical idea. You do that in exile. You learn humility you learn how to trust God in those places where you cannot control. So we have to learn the humility of faith in exile. Second, part of the problem that's so hard for us to do this is because we're not just fighting our own desire to be the Lord of our lives. Uh, Peter wants us to know our enemy because he goes on to say, um, be sober-minded, pay attention, be watchful, your, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Right? What does that mean? 
right? There's been nothing about Satan up until this point. So, Peter, where are you getting this idea from? And part of what he's doing is he's sharpening your theology, my theology of evil. Right? Do you believe that the battle is against more than just you? In our own sinful nature, is there, is there a, such a thing as a devil? Right? And the Bible is never naive about evil in us, nor about evil out there. That there's a very real adversary, spiritual powers of darkness. Right? So Satan is this personal, powerful evil a fallen angel who stalks this world like a cruel predatory lion, hungry. He's pacing. And I think it's fair to connect that to the pride thing, right? What is he looking for? A weak link in the armor, but a weak link looks like our pride. Right? The kind of pride that refuses to trust God's mighty hand, that says, I got this, I don't need you, that blocks God's grace. And so, to show you what Peter has in mind, right, Satan and our pride often work together. But do you take seriously that reality? I mean, this is, I know where we're at, we're in, we're in the Western world, and we don't talk about it that much here in our church, I mean, that we do in the background a little bit. But we've got to take seriously, there is a devil, and he's at work, and he's working against faith. He's working against the kingdom of light, because he is of the darkness. Right? And I know our tendency is just not to think about it. Or our culture would say, ah, it's just ancient superstition that's been smuggled in and, and we're just too gullible. Um, it's just not rational. Or the flip side would be, right, some Christians have gone the other side and they've seen the exorcist too much. <laughs> And all their expectations of spiritual powers of evil come from that movie and things like it. And then they wonder, okay, I'm, I'm arrogant, I'm, I'm anxious. Can I just blame Satan for my problems? <laughs> and, and Peter won't let us do that either. Right? You don't want to see Satan behind every nook and cranny, nor do you want to ignore him. All right. And so how does this work? How does, how does pride and the devil prowling like a lion fit together in Peter's mind. And I think you're going to find, if you tug on the sin of pride, you're going to find someone who is willing to imitate Satan, walking in his footsteps rather than the footsteps of Jesus. Right? So for example, one of the passages that describes the king of Babylon and the devil simultaneously it is it's found in Isaiah chapter 14, um, where it laments, <laughs> right, describing the king of Babylon. How far are you, have you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? Right? So there's something spiritual going on. How you're cut to the ground, how you laid the nations low, you said in your heart, and this is pride, I'm going to ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will make myself like the Most High. And what Bible readers for the last 2,000 years have said, that sounds an awful lot like Satan, even though this is describing a real flesh and blood king who was arrogant and slaughtered people just to feed his ego to set up a kingdom on earth. 
See, pride at its core is, I'm God. I'm in charge. I am like God. And what that does, it sets me up to be like a lion. Predatorial in nature towards those near me. And Peter says, hey, the devil's like a lion. Sin is beastly and it's demonic. Right? So you see, right? You have the choice. As a Christian, you can walk in the way of Jesus and walk in the footsteps of the Lamb, but watch out because if you're arrogant, you're going to be that the devil's looking for someone to devour, and every bad thing that's ever happened in the history of the world has begun with pride. Right? Go back to the garden. Take and eat. Right? You too could be like God, knowing good and evil, which led to the first murder, which led to whole civilizations built on violence, uh, which led to the Tower of Babel, which is just the epitome of pride of we're going to build a whole civilization based on how great we are. We're going to make our name great. And there's just a whole mess from there on out. Right? So, the way you resist the devil standing firm in your faith to just say, I, it, you don't need to be weird about it of just yelling at Satan saying, get out of my life. You can say, Lord, protect me from the evil one as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But spiritual warfare takes place on the battleground of pride and anxiety. That's, that's what Peter's connecting those dots. It's ordinary spiritual warfare. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by other Christians throughout the world, meaning, here's the battleground. You're suffering. You're suffering for Jesus' sake, and you have a choice. Am I going to rise up in pride and try and fix this mess? Or will I, in humility, turn and say, God, you're with me. I'm your responsibility. I trust you to fix this. So what, what does it look like to be firm in the faith? Well, who is your faith in? It's Jesus. And how does Jesus resist the devil for you, right? He came to deliver you from the power of evil. And you go back to Luke 4, and it's in the same realm of pride and anxiety, right? Jesus is in the desert. He's starving. He's hungry. It's been 40 days. And Satan says, hey, if you are the Son of God, turn this stone to bread. Right? Which is his way of saying, hey, if God really cared for you, you wouldn't be hungry. So clearly you need to take things upon yourself and provide for yourself. Command this stone to become bread. Does it sound like the story of anxiety you tell yourself? Does my Father in Heaven care for me? Does He even notice me? Is He going to fix the mess I'm in? Whether that mess is real or imagined. <laughs> no, what Jesus does is He passes the anxiety test. He says, no, man shall not live by bread alone. I trust my Father. I'm here for His sake. Right, in the second test, Satan, the devil, comes and he goes right after Jesus' pride in the context of suffering, because it says the devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and says, to you I will give you authority and glory. This has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I want. Just worship me. It's yours. Power and glory. Here's the cross. 
skip all that mess. Just go straight to the top, right? You can cheat. All you got to do is bow down and imitate me. And what does Jesus say? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. He refuses to exalt himself. He says, I'm going to trust that the mighty hand of God will humble me and exalt me. It's not Satan. It's not your place. Stay in your lane. See, to be firm in the faith, as Jesus is showing us, I think one way to say this would be firm in the knowledge that I am God's son, whom he loves, and he cares for me. I can trust him. Even though the circumstances are screaming elsewhere. Right? And we know that it, we are God's problem and he cares for us because of the firmness of Jesus' faith who believed perfectly for you. Right? If you this is good to, to turn here in the Old Testament. I'm trying to fill in the gaps. So you, when you read this, you don't realize Peter is just layered Old Testament passage after Old Testament. Uh, turn to Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7. So that word for firmness, uh, a hardness in, in, he, in uh, Peter, is used here in Isaiah 50 to describe a face like stone, like flint. But Isaiah 50 is talking about God's servant. It turns out to be Jesus and then us, right? And so if you look at verses, Isaiah 50, it should sound like Jesus going to the cross for you in verse 6. Start verse 5. It says, The Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. He's faithful. And the servant gave my, he said, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Sounds like holy ground. This is the cross. And then here's the statement of faith, the firmness of the faith in the trial. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, and here's the connection, I have set my face like a flint. I'm ready to go through this. Jesus, you're with me. God, you're with me, I should say. I know I shall not be put to shame because he who vindicates me, the Lord, he is near. So who's going to contend with me? Let's stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? You hear the taunt. Behold, all of them are going to wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Right? That's such an astounding picture of what Jesus did. Humbling himself under the mighty hand of God, suffering according to God's will. And when he, what he does is he hardens his face and say, I am committed even to death on a cross, no matter who is against me, because I know the Lord is with me. And even though the world says I'm guilty and I'm accused of being all kinds of not them, right? the Lord doesn't declare me guilty. So I say, come, bring it on. <laughs> right? And that's what Jesus did. He was... He set his face like flint, firm in the faith. He humbled himself, even to death on a cross. He died the humble for the arrogant. 
the faithful for the afraid. And so if that is true of Jesus, if that is true of the servant, how much more for us who saw Jesus raised from the dead? We know for certain, we can say, who shall declare me guilty? Christ, Christ Jesus, he died for me. Right? The evil I suffer now, if they don't repent, they're moth food. They're going to wear out. Their time will come because we're, we're in the realm of eternity. We suffer for a little while, but eternal glory is coming, as Peter would say. All right? I'm not alone, and this is what I want you to see here this morning. When you go through these places, the attitude of faith is, the gospel tells me I'm cared for. Right? As it says in Isaiah 50, Behold, the Lord God helps me. The one who vindicates me is near. Do you hear that presence language? You're not alone in it. And that not aloneness was purchased by Jesus' death on a cross. And so, this is the true grace of God that Peter is, is really nailing down, right? I'm trying to apply this even as we try to understand the text. See, what this is, as we, we bring this to a close, this is a call to stand firm in the true grace of God, trusting that God is at work, even in those fiery trials, those circumstances you would never choose to go through on your own. But if you're going to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, you've got to trust Him. Say, God, you brought me here. And you brought me here, you said, by, by the death of your son, I'm your problem. <laughs> and those people out there, my enemies, whatever that may be, they're your problem too. And the one who vindicates me is near. I'm not alone. I can trust him. And so this is a call to compare the shortness of our suffering back in Peter to the eternal glory to come, to set your trouble in the grand story of the Bible, what God is doing in Jesus, to right all wrongs. That's what Peter's reminding us briefly, more briefly than my sermon. <laughs> Right? He's saying, look, heaven is coming. Suffering will end. Tears will be wiped away. We will see the great shepherd who has already been resurrected for us. We've been born again into a living hope through this resurrection to be with him. And so if you really believe temporally this suffering is short in comparison to the eternal forever glory to come, you can trust right now God will restore you. That's the language of everything you've lost. He's going to write all that is wrong. Right? Even death will be restored. <laughs> Eternal life, resurrection. He's going to confirm you. Right? And that is the language of God actually coming to you in these moments. He's saying, I'm going to convince you that Jesus is alive and you can trust him. He's hardening your faith. Become more convinced that the gospel is true. And then he's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you the power to trust in weakness. Knowing that one day, it looks like the lions are in charge right now. One day, the lion will be tamed. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. Because Jesus, the king, will, will do that. But until that day, he's going to give you the strength to go through that trial. And he's going to establish you. It's a, it's a building metaphor. Um, Peter loved that, right? He's, his name is a rock. So he's saying, look, you are 
secure on Jesus, the living stone, and that work he has started, he will finish. And that's why Peter says, hey, to the God of all grace belongs all dominion forever and ever. You know, it looks like the world is in charge. Uh, it looks like if you're in their day, it looked like these evil powers of Rome are in charge as they're burning Christians alive. Peter says, no, they're on a leash like Babylon. To the God of all grace who is for you, he has dominion forever and ever. Dominion is you're under God's, you're in God's hand. There's no safer place to be, which is a reason not to be anxious. And then Peter signs off, right? Stand firm. I've exhorted you. I've commanded you. I've told you all these things. This is the true grace of God. It's Jesus. And if you stop and think about this, One of the questions of Psalm 137 is, we're in exile, we're in Babylon, we're weeping, this is hard, and we're being taunted. And they say, how in the world can we sing the Lord's song surrounded by evil? How does Peter start the gospel? I'll encourage you to go back and reread the letter. He starts with a song. Blessed be the Lord God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again into a living hope. To, a, to an inheritance that is unfading, imperishable, undefiled, being guarded, being kept for you, for the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Yeah, you grieve right now, but because you love him, you're going to rejoice when you see him, and after you've suffered for a little while, eternity's coming. So let that put to death your pride and kill your anxiety as you stand firm in the true grace of God. Let's pray. But Father God, we uh, got a great picture of what you're up to in our lives, and I pray as we are, some of us are praying, Lord, how long? As we sang, some of us are praying, stop, this hurts. Um, and others of us are successful. And so we pray that whatever circumstance or trial we may be in, Lord, you would teach us the path of humility to trust Jesus, who died in our place for the proud for the arrogant, for the anxious, and, and raised us up as your sons and daughters, as those who are loved. So teach us to stand firm so that when we go through these trials, our neighbors would look at us and say, where in the world do you find such strength? And we can say, Jesus is alive. And I know this is only temporary. So may that be our story. In Jesus' name, amen.